Hi, episode two. Episode two. <laughs> we made it to episode two. Uh, and thank you. Thanks to everybody who gave us such great feedback on episode one. So uh, again, you know, this podcast is meant, I think, to bring people closer to us who want to learn a little bit more about um, maybe our thinking behind some of the techniques that we do and, and a lot about like our lifestyle and frankly, just letting our hair down and Having showing a little a, bit more realness, I guess. A little more of a fireside chat feel. But this episode is going to be good because we're talking about our 2021 goals that we've set. Which, I'm so stoked about this. And sort of our year in review as well, our 2020 year in review. And we're going to talk a lot, not just about our wins and what went well, but also what did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> and our I, big losses. I would say, from my perspective, that one of our coolest techniques is our annual pre-planning process. I love it. And, and not to say that there's nothing in our process that other people don't do but i just really am in love with how we do this and we really started doing this before we taught it to other people in fact i think for a long time i felt like maybe weird about showing people how nerdy we were about pre-planning our year that's so true yeah we did really advertise it but we do it every single year on the first of the year we would set aside our whole day and we basically took the whole day to do it it was like a big um it, it's one of my favorite days of the year. It's like a ritual for us, almost like, and this is where it gets into like not wanting to share it and feeling nerdy yeah. in that like other people take a whole day off to go hiking and <laughs> we take a whole day off to just visualize and plan our year and learn from the last year. But now I think we got bolder and we're letting yeah. our freak flag fly. And I'm glad we did because now for the last three years, it has almost been one of our most popular Thanks. trainings that we do in our- In Lifehack Tribe. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We just ran this as a training in Lifehack Tribe, and it was amazing, um, absolutely incredible. It is every year, but I feel like every year it just gets a little bit better. Yeah, this year especially, we we actually, I think we sanded off a lot of the rough edges yeah. of our process and just dialed in some new stuff that I think is absolutely critical. So this podcast will not be a recap no. of what we do, <laughs> um, but but maybe just for people who haven't been part of our tribe and done that, just I'll give the lightest of overviews that what we basically do is take an opportunity a whole day and sometimes multiple parts because we took a week off this year and we did it multiple parts of the day yeah. throughout the week to let it sit. What we'll do is we'll look at the whole year in review and we'll ask ourselves some pretty critical questions about what went right that we should keep doing, what went wrong that we should learn from. And then we roll that into a visioning session for the next year where, you know, ostensibly those two two things are very different things, but they actually inform each other in a very big And way. we force ourselves to come up with a lesson that we've learned from both mm -hmm. the wins and the losses because it's not enough just to say, oh, this went really well, yay. We have to be able to learn from it if we want to replicate that success. I don't even know how to underline that enough. You know, there's so many people in life, they do something right, but they don't actually in their head formulate around like a clear lesson like that was right because of this. And and I should keep doing that thing right. because of this fundamental lesson I learned. Sometimes we do things right and just randomly stop doing them and we do things wrong and don't learn from them. So I think probably just to put a bow on this, probably the most critical thing that we train in our weekly, monthly, and yearly pre-planning is just to create that recursive loop of, it doesn't matter if you won or lost, learn a lesson from it and integrate that into the next week, month, or year, right. and you will have created a tight little learning loop 
where you will get better. You cannot fail to get better if you do that. Right. Totally, totally, totally. Um, Okay, so without further ado, talking about 2020, year in review, here are our biggest wins from the last year. Now, Now, again, not to go back too much, but, you know, when we do this in a formalized setting, we do, you know, we list out all of our business wins, all of our personal wins, all of our business losses, all of our personal losses. But here, I think we're just going to keep it casual and yes. bubble up some of the top, the top ones. This yeah. is not everything. We literally have a 10-page document. <laughs> That we will spare you from going through, but this is sort of our our top win. So the number one win for me from the last year was that it felt like, uh, again, we've cracked the code on the top of the funnel marketing. Mm. And this is something that if you're a marketer or an entrepreneur, you know, has to almost be redone every two years or so. Because what has worked before stops working and they've tried different things and the industry changes and consumer changes. And so for this last year, I felt like we really cracked the code on marketing into our membership, uh, which is the Lifehack Tribe membership. When you say again, do you do you mean that we did it before or did you just throw the word again in there? No, I think... this feels like the first time that we really... This is the best we've ever done with it, but I think we've cracked the code before when we were selling directly into the boot camp. Okay, true. For this for this stack. For this stack, for this offer, for yeah. this price point, we've cracked the code again. And we're not going to get into uh, like online marketing, but you know, suffice it to say, if you want to be in business in almost so many different businesses now, yeah. you need to become an online marketer. I mean, if there was a way that you and I could do coaching without having to be online marketers, we would have gone we that would do that <laughs> in a second. Um, we but- tried some things. We tried to be for example, professors at different universities and do the same work, but it, you know, it just the best way to do it is what online marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is a necessary evil. I mean, in my, you're right. We've, we've had our hands around it before, but I feel like this year felt different. I think it felt different. And I think the biggest lesson we've taken away from it is that we need to go big, but have but in a specified focused area of marketing mm. basically going big and iterating within it because the tendency and i think a lot of people fall into this trap is to try to do a lot of different tactics for marketing hoping that hoping that the whole thing comes together and and drives a lot of traffic but what we did instead was sort of take one element of marketing and went really deep with it yeah i mean that's i mean the quickest way that people die and this is my beef with marketing, is listening to the marketing experts. Because it doesn't matter what you're doing. There's somebody else out there saying, oh, if you're doing Facebook ads, you should also be doing Google SEO. If you're doing Google SEO, you should be doing paid. Like, no matter what you're doing, there's another person who's going to tell you you should be doing something else in addition to that thing. Right. But that really is the quickest way to run into the buzzsaw and kill yourself as a small business owner. I mean, we've been doing Facebook ads. We're coming up on our sixth anniversary of our business. And we have only ever done Facebook ads. And I feel like here we are in year six, finally, like getting good at it. You know, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, is that just my perspective? Well, I think there's different layers of expertise. And I don't think we're all the way there to full experts yet. By no means. But we have something that works. And by works, I mean, creates a positive ROI for our business without with just driving to cold traffic because a lot of businesses run on a mixture of warm and cold traffic cold being people who have never heard about you before and warm being people who have been introduced to you through a friend or an affiliate or a partner so in some ways they already have some trust and credibility built up around you but cold is like the most difficult 
way to market. And if you can have a positive ROI with cold, then yeah. you can be sure that you can scale your business, you can grow, you have a place in the market and that nobody can ever take away from you. Absolutely. I agree with every single word you said, but I'm just saying like, just this, I think the lesson is making a commitment to like yes. almost go smaller and de- like, you know, deeper, yeah. Yeah. Deeper instead of wider. Right. Um, and we've been here like six years and it feels like we're not, we have not mined all of the gold out of that one technique of just like really doing Facebook ads, like getting people to know us through Facebook, bringing them into our world, creating trust and credibility. Yep. But this year was different. I feel like, and I want to throw you some props here Aww. because Carrie had been saying, no, I'll, I'll back up and say, I had been saying for a while, webinars are dead. Yeah. Webinars are dead. Webinars don't work. I, I just had a bad experience and decided that webinars didn't work. And Carrie, every time I brought that up to her credit would say, no, actually webinars still drive, like uh, are the number one driver for our business. And so last year in our annual pre-planning, Carrie really put her foot down and, and, and told me we need to triple down. And so finally I was ready to come back around and listen to some sense basically. <laughs> and, and so what I said was, and, and because I'm a person of extreme streams, I'd always been sort of going small with webinars. It was always like, oh, oh, let's get a webinar going in a month. And who knows where I picked that number up? Like, oh, it's going to take a month or three months to get a webinar up. And But when it wasn't working within a month or three months, I was making this decision of like, oh, well, webinars suck. Not I suck. Right. <laughs> Not I failed to create something compelling, but the mechanism sucks. And so this year, we went all the way the opposite way and we said listen we're choosing one topic we're going to create an industry best webinar and we're going to commit the entire year and we are not allowed to do any other webinars except on this topic we can iterate we can get better we could even erase it and do something new under the same banner but we can only do a webinar on this topic yes and by giving ourselves those guardrails it actually helped us have more creativity around it i think because before there was always this thing of like well maybe the problem is the topic yeah. Maybe yeah. we should just change the topic and do a different webinar. And instead we were like, no, 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 the topic's good. <laughs> we know the topic's good. If there's a problem with the webinar, we need to change the content of the yeah, webinar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we started doing that. And every single week, Demir was doing this live webinar and he just got better and better and better. And we iterated every single week and we watched the replay from the previous week. So that's the, that's the key. And a yes. shout out to Frida here, Frida Cachola. She inspired me because every single week, she set aside four hours to listen to her sales calls and just take notes on how to get better the next week. And that really inspired me. And so I said, every week, I'm not just going to do a webinar live every week. I'm going to set aside four hours to rewatch that webinar and take notes on how I can be better the next week. So again, this theme comes back to tight little, tight little um, feedback loops, feedback loops. Exactly. These like give a webinar, rewatch it. Make some notes on how to get better. Give it again the next week. So that tight loop. And I also think we got excited about it because we could see it working. And so staying excited about what was currently working rather than trying to start from scratch with a different tactic became really rewarding. And it became easier because you were able to really master the webinar, master the script, master the storytelling. And I know that it took every week just a little bit less cognitive load. I mean, it's almost like the the snake eating its tail. You can't tell where it stops and ends. But I think a big part of why it was working was that we made that big commitment. Right. You know, so so it's like, what came first, the chicken and egg? I don't know. But I know, <laughs> I know that when we made 
a big commitment and said, our whole year is just going to be about getting this webinar operating at the highest possible level. And we carved out what really previously would have been an unthinkable amount of time to make it work. True. And then it finally started working at the highest level and we started seeing momentum. And so I think my lesson from this is go way bigger than you think you need to. Yeah. On, on the thing that's so leveraged that it doesn't matter if it takes 10 times the amount of time and money and resources as you think it's going to take, it'll still be worth it. Right. Right. And, and why did I say it was going to take a month to get a webinar up? I don't know. But frankly, if you had asked me, Demir, if it takes a year, but you'll get the kind of results that you're getting today, is it still worth it? I would have said, that sucks. That defies my expectation. But it's <laughs> yes it would still be worth it. Yeah, and that was ended up being our huge, I would say our biggest win of, yeah. of 2020. I think the second biggest win of 2020 was continuing to offload busy work from my plate in and order for me to tackle special projects that ended up really driving the business forward. So before we get into this, uh, you have like a little thing that you say sometimes when we're talking to friends about this that I'd love for you to like repeat in miniature, which is just the feeling... It, the feeling you had when we talked about getting these things off your plate. And at that moment, it felt like only you, you yeah. could do it. So can you speak to that for a second? This is a big problem I have with outsourcing. And I think a lot of people have it is this feeling that you, you look at a task and you're like, I just don't know how anybody else could do this except for me because it requires my whatever, my unique genius expertise. Like Because I have built so many of the backend systems of our business. I just know them inside and out. And there's certain things where I feel like I have to make decisions in the moment or I need so much expertise in order to get them done. But the second you sort of pushed me out of that and you were like, listen, this is taking up a lot of time. I can see that it's taking up time. Like we need you working on other things. You need to get this off your plate. And then you just sit down and you create an SOP for it. Yeah. And you a set of instructions for how to do it. And I just started with like little pieces, like yes. just one task at a time, not the whole enchilada, just like little, little chunks. And before you knew it, I had gotten so much of this busy work off my plate. Can you choose just like one thing that you maybe a year ago was you were like, this has to be done by me. This cannot be done by anybody else. And now it's being done by other people and there's no problem. Well, I think a big one is that the, all the billing relating to the business, because I felt nervous, first of all, about somebody else doing anything related to a customer's money that made me feel uncomfortable. Like I, I need, if something went, was, was to go wrong, like what, you know, that would be so bad for our business. Right. But the fact of if, of it is there's things that other people can do that don't have any direct, they're not like charging people's credit cards or something, yeah. right? So it's all the behind the scenes of switching people from a plan to a different plan or canceling a plan or starting a new yeah, plan. Yeah. Like all these different little things that happen um, that were really taking up a lot of time. Yeah, totally. Okay, so let's jump into it. So, so take it for granted that last year we made a really big push to get things off of Carrie's plate. And that really came to fruition this year. Um, I, I would say... Um, and this is hard for this could could be hard for Carrie's ego if if I wasn't going to say the second thing I'm going to say. But everything that Carrie was reluctantly doing is now being done better by somebody for whom that is their only job and they're only focused on that. Right. Because I mean, whenever you're doing billing, whenever you were chasing down a customer request, that was never like you going yoo-hoo, like oh my god, right. this is great. That was just one of a billion things that you had to do. And now more or less. We've the person who's, for example, handling billing, 
just does a lot of billing. They get to stay in that mindset all totally, day. Yeah, totally. There's that. There's the person uh, specialized who's only doing our Facebook ads and our cold traffic marketing. There's a developer who's doing all the coding for our website. There's a designer who's designing all the things for our website. So all these little things that I used to sort of do on my own or with the minimum amount of help um, are now being done by somebody else because I know what I want. Yeah. And I've well, done it before. And Facebook ads are a great example because you're still overseeing yeah. the copy and the design, but they're going and doing, you know, to do Facebook ad, ads right, a lot of people don't realize you're not just sitting there trying to think of the perfect ad. No, that's like you the have minute, to create like a hundred permutations of a hundred ads and run them all. And it's so you testing. end up with these crazy spreadsheets of just like, how did this ad do? Okay, great. Like, run a hundred ads and then here's the 20 who perform the best and then run those 20 and refine on those. It's just this <laughs> relentless test and learn. Right. And I wasn't doing it justice is, is the sad truth is because like I was getting by with it, but we started noticing that if we were to hire somebody else, sure, it would be a lot of additional costs that we were taking on, but we felt that it would be worth it in terms of ROI. And it has yeah. been oh, totally. like we've been able to get a better ROI, even spending more money. Yeah, totally. Um, but, and the second part of this that's important is yeah. everything, when we liberated your time, the stuff you did with that paid off like just huge. Yes. I, I mean, really, it's, I think we bandy about the word like 10x. Yeah. 10x. But, but really, it paid off 10x, I think. I think so. Yeah. We were able to secure a lot more business partnerships because mm -hmm. I had more time for that. Um, we created new courses because I had time for that. I created a lot of systems to run our membership program, Try, which so, is a lot and, of scale. And, and and you're like listing, but I want to pause. Like there's no doubt in my mind when you say new business partnerships, I'm talking about like big, like a lot more really money big. that we made this year versus last year on affiliate partnerships. Yes. Um, when you talk about systems, you created some systems for um, our client relationship management, which was, I mean, we have 650 people in our tribe now and to be able to and I'm the only primary coach I mean I have assistance but like really I am still the primary coach to all 650 people and you um, and I brainstormed but you really implemented a system for really making it efficient so that if I had an hour of time like I knew exactly who I was supposed to be reaching out to and what I was supposed to be doing um, I mean we couldn't have scaled to 650 people if you Without hadn't that. created yeah. that system so the idea was liberate Carrie's time so that she can do higher value work and it ended up being exactly like that. Yes. And so I, that makes me more excited to even keep doing that in the future because as you create new processes, then you have to almost force yourself to then systematize those and get them off your plate yep. and then keep going and creating the next thing. And it's hard because when we were at 250 people, we did not see a clear path to how we were going to service 650. No, we were just like, well, let's solve that we'll when we get there. Yeah, we'll <laughs> figure it out. And so now here at 600 people, you know, to say that what if we doubled to like 1200, yeah. you know, again, new level, new devil. Every time you double your, your business, your systems break and yep. you have to build something new, which provides a new opportunity for you to get trapped in that new yes. service. And so it really sort of is, and I hate to use a gory analogy, it's sort of like ripping some skin off and then healing it back up and then ripping it off. <laughs> like it really is this sort of it feels every time like it's like ripping yourself away from a process that your yeah, brain is that just you're telling comfortable you, with. I have to be doing this. Nobody else can be doing this. And that's the weird illusion of it all is right. like you really feel like nobody else can do this. I know, I know. But that is and ends up being how you create value because now the one thing that I can do that nobody else can do is figure out those new systems yeah. and create them completely from scratch. And so that is the one thing that we haven't been able to outsource. Um, so yeah.
And I have to give you a shout out for the how to hire your first VA course that you created. Oh my gosh. Best course that we've <laughs> ever done. I mean, and also really tight because I, I used to say the systems mastery course was the best course we've ever done. But I think I indulged myself and allowed myself to like put every single thing that I knew right. into that course. And I think this really feels like it's, it's like a, it's like a Michael Jackson's thriller. Like, it's just a perfect album, you know, like, I really feel like this course is just like every single video is like exactly like there's no nothing extra. There's no there's, flop. It's not too little, not too much. It's just perfect. So oh, you thanks. made the thriller of courses. <laughs> well, it was fun. Uh, it was a good course. And then I think our, our another big win for us, our third big win on the personal side is that we simply saved a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, first of all, shout out. Um, I guess, well, not shout out, but just just acknowledgement that we in the K shaped recovery where some people are doing really, really badly and other people are doing really well. We were in the upper part of the K shaped recovery. I mean, just naturally, we were online, and so a lot of when people couldn't spend in the in the sort of bricks and mortar world, they started spending more online, um, and then of course. Everything instantly moved to remote work, remote teams, you know, people's time got compressed because people had kids at home who were doing remote learning. I mean, the natural interest was how do I make working from home and this crazy new situation work? And so we we just naturally became beneficiaries of that through no credit of our own. No, that <laughs> like was we just, did not that was just chance. That was just chance. And so by chance we were on the right side of this cleavage in the economy. And so for anybody who wasn't on that right side, our heart goes out to you because yes. um, we do not think that there was anything inherently good no. that we did. We just were on the right side of the, the fence. But having said that, you know, we, we saved a lot of money by not going out to restaurants, not traveling. Yep. I wouldn't say that we have a lavish lifestyle. In fact, I would, I, I, I will do another chat about this another time. In fact, we're going to do a podcast, I think in the future about, um, the pros and cons of being digital nomads and expats. And so we'll talk more about this at, at that point. But um, it's it was actually, it, for our lavish digital nomad lifestyle, we were actually spending less than we did just staying home all the time in LA. So even right. for all the travel that you guys see us doing, it was still way cheaper than just living in LA and never going out and always cooking your meals in, right? Yeah. But, you know, compound that with the fact that we really couldn't go anywhere. We stayed in Colombia here, you know, um, every meal cooked by our cook. Um, you know, we saved a lot of money. And I think the big thing that happened to us is we have a financial freedom fund and we got to a third of the way to, to that fund. filling that fund up. Um, and so, you know, part of that was us just not spending and saving. But another part was the stock market doing a lot of yes, that lifting a lot yeah so um there's multiple lessons in there which one do you want to dive into first yeah i mean i think um the first one is yeah like it sucked to not be able to travel as much yeah but that also resulted in us saving more money so we almost were able to turn that negative into a positive and because it's not even just the money we spend traveling, it's the time that we spend away from the business. Yeah. Because when we're in transit, our energy goes down. We don't have as much time to actually be working. So it's just, it becomes much more difficult to run the business. Um, so yeah, it's like, well, that kind of did suck, but we also saved a lot of money and we're going to be able to retire even earlier now. So maybe we'll be able to do that traveling later. <laughs> well, it also makes me think, like, I love going out to restaurants. I love traveling. But do I love it more than 
retiring early. Well, and this is a longer topic because we don't actually intend to retire early. Right. But I do want to know what it feels like to come to a day of work with that feeling of like, if I don't want to do this, I don't have, like any moment that you don't want to do this, you don't have to. And I, every time, it, I, let's not get into that topic because I could go <laughs> off on that topic. But but needless to say, it has been sort of a gestalt or like a, a shift for me. Yeah. Now, when I think about making plans in 2021, a lot of it is me thinking about Okay, you can have that, but at what cost? Wouldn't you rather have a little <laughs> bit more money in your financial freedom fund? So that's been a really good lesson. I think but also, the, the other lesson for yeah. me was that um, we just proven again and again that we should always just stay in the market. Boom. We yeah. see so many friends and family either not taking, putting, not keeping their money in the market, not putting their money into the market because they're trying to time it and they're waiting for the next recession or the next downturn. And we've just always said the had like, hey, we don't know. We're not experts. <laughs> we are not investment professionals, so we don't know. And the best thing to do is just keep our money in the market. No, granted, we are young, right? So, so if somebody's yes. listening to this and they're like in their We're, late sixties, no, we and, have a much lower risk profile. We, yeah, we can we can accept more risk because we have we have a longer amount of time that we plan to stay in the market, right? So, you know, talk to your financial advisor. We're not making any recommendations, but I will say this. Um, not naming any names, there are people that we know who are constantly trying to time the market. Yep. Like, oh, don't get in now. Uh, just wait. To, and if I had, if you'd put a gun to my head and forced me at the beginning of the pandemic to take a guess about whether the market was going to go down, <laughs> whether our market was going to go up, maybe I'm a neophyte, but I'm looking around in the financial media and most people are saying, yeah, we would have guessed that the market would have gone down. Right. But right? instead it went up but massively. But instead it went up massively. And we had the conversation, not not really seriously should we take our money out, but just more the conversation sounded a little bit more like, oh, we're going to take a hit. Yep. It, but neither of us was actually seriously thinking about taking money out. It was just an acknowledgement. We had some good runs. This is going to take a hit, but we stay in the market. And we would have missed that entire market run up, yep. all of our Tesla run up, everything. We would have missed it all if we'd been geniuses and tried to time the market. So yeah, really, really good learning lesson there. <laughs> so what's the saying? Time in the market beats, beats timing, timing the, the market. market. Yeah. So for everybody out there. That's our lesson. Put your money in. Keep it. I think our fourth, our fourth biggest win was that we have now been parents for over a year. Yeah. So we've we've survived. <laughs> our first full year as parents. We were trying to think about how to phrase this, but right, our first, our full, first year. full year being parents. Yes, we, we're much more, I think, confident in our parenting skills now. Um, we have an amazing little girl. Oh, uh, it's, been, so it's been super fun being parents. I think it just gets more and more fun every single month. I mean, you know, and this is where it's, it's, in, it's important to be honest. Like two like things that, one is like to our credit and the other it just isn't at all like one is we we went through a lot of work almost a decade of work to create a lifestyle where we had support where we had help where we you know had planned ahead financially so yeah we we didn't just go oops we're having a baby like we were those i mean we're productivity coaches so like we planned for this baby about as much as you would expect two productivity coaches would plan which a is a lot right <laughs> but a lot of those plans like really came to fruition in a big way yeah. so that we could enjoy being a parent. And I'm not going to lie, like when I talk to a lot of my friends about their first year of parenting, 
they did not, they were not looking at me like, what a great year, nailed it, feels so great. They were like, oh my God, I, I, you know, we didn't get divorced, that's a win, you know? <laughs> and so, so it was, I think this is a flex, a little bit of a flex that we deserve is that we really did some things other people wouldn't do, unconventional things to design a lifestyle where when we had our baby in that first year of parenting, that we could look at each other and yeah. honestly say, what a great amazing year. Yeah. And the biggest lesson for me from that has been, Hey, all this geo arbitrage, this living abroad lifestyle that has been what's made parenting much easier for us. And I'm just so glad we did it that way. Oh my goodness. And <laughs> there's been times when for a day or two, like we wouldn't like, you know, there's a Colombian holiday. We have no help in the house. And, and I think to myself, man, this is every single day of the year for people in the States. So for all of our parents who are listening right now in the States, you're amazing. We don't know how you do it. We don't do know it. how you do it. And, and, and you are freaking amazing. And, and yes. And, um, so I, I will say the other part that is like not due to anything that we did is that she just actually has a good personality. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've, I, I've seen enough people who had kids to realize that she was just what you would call an angel baby, you know, in the in the book. I forget which book we read. Uh, the, the Baby Whisperer the book. Baby Whisperer book, yeah. But but she just was an easy baby, yeah. you know. And, and we lucked what, out. Yeah, and maybe if we have another baby, like, just as likely to not luck out and have... A little devil know, child. A little devil child, you know. But, but she's very social. She loves, like, playing with people. Like, she, she loves sleeping. She, she loves sleeping. She We don't have any problem, like, feeding her, like... But I think a lot of that has also had to do, uh, I don't know, maybe not a lot, who knows, to, to be honest, but we all have also spent the time and energy to learn the proper ways to stimulate her, to be with her so that she is happy and, and healthy and has the support she needs. And I think that's another lesson I learned is we can't really hire that done. Just like anything yeah. else in our life or our business, we've gotten the best results from our nannies and our helpers in the house when we tell them what we want done. Let's pause on that and like open that up for people. Cause I think that's important. There was a moment we hired some nannies with like 25 years of experience. Right. And, um, we were like, great, you're going to teach us. Like, I mean, look at you. And one had like a graduate school degree and like in, te- in, and, early, and, childhood in early childhood education. education. Like, I mean, we were just like, great. Okay. So we don't have to like do this. You're going to teach us how to be parents. And almost like a dog. I, I know it sounds great, but our dog trainer both trained our dog, but also taught us how to be the owner of a trained so, and No, dog. he used to say it's more about training the owner than it is about training the dog. And he was totally right about that. Totally right. And so we were thinking that that was not at all. <laughs> no, we were really disappointed in what these nannies were doing. We could yeah. see that it wasn't helping Gigi as much as it, it could wasn't have. wasn't science-based. No. And so we basically, with, with the man- pandemic hit, we took that as an opportunity to, to sort of rest back control. Yeah. We let yeah. everybody go that was working in the house, obviously, because of the pandemic. Yeah. But that forced us to really just become the experts that, that we needed to be. You're, so, you're giving me so much credit here. Let's be honest. Like, you really quarterbacked I, It was mostly me. You quarterbacked <laughs> this. I mean, I was like running. You were running so fast and you're so far ahead. I was like, I'm going. I was like, <laughs> like uh, to... sending some orders your way, just like, do this, do this now. <laughs> but, but yeah, you did an incredible job of really like just saying, okay. But, you know, I thought to give you a ton of credit, there was a moment where, where you just sort of said, okay, line in the sand. This is not working. Um, you let everybody go. And with zero victimhood or being upset, just like stepped in and said, okay, now I am the captain of this. You'd already been doing a lot of research. So it wasn't like you were starting from zero. 
but but then really redoubled your efforts and yeah. designed like a sort of stimulation protocol. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but I credit a lot of where Gigi is at with her language and with her walking and, and a lot mobility, of her yeah. mobility to the work that you did. Because she was actually really behind. Yeah, she was starting to fall behind, which is, I think, what made me a bit nervous. Not that it's a big deal. I mean, like, it's like she would have turned out fine no matter what. Yeah. But I just, I didn't want to see her being treated in like a suboptimal way. Yeah. And so I think that's what really just spurred me. And it's not like it's hard once you, once you read the research and there's so many great resources and parenting books out there that it was much easier for me than I think for probably previous generations. Yeah. Um, But basically it was like, like anything else we do, Hey, let's figure out the best way to do it. And then let's just execute on that way and not second guess it. Yeah, you yeah, that was that was awesome. So I think being a parent was a massive win this year. Um I, there was a note that I had for myself here. Yeah, I think we covered it all. I mean, I just I will say for me and I don't I really don't know how much this affected Gigi or not, but I've always wanted to have like a parenting environment where people aren't pretending to be relaxed, they are relaxed, <laughs> right? You know, because I think a lot of times you see that really like strung out mom in like public and she's like shaking and then the kids ask a question. She turns to them and she's like, you know, with a fake smile, just like, oh no, we'll talk about that when we get home. You know, you could just, there, everything's right on the outside, but you can see on the inside that like there's so much tension and stress. And I really wanted to create an environment where you and I were relaxed because I felt like the baby would like, pick up on that and i have yes. no idea whether this is true or not no i think it's, it's but backed I, up by i science. feel like we've really created an environment where even with their nannies like the, the nannies down here in columbia will work if you tell them to like a 12 hour day like they expect that and we will actually specifically not let them do that because we want to make sure that whenever a nanny is like in, whenever anybody's interacting with her that they're bringing that fresh like rested energy so i just feel like like I guess a bit of a flex here is like, I feel like the result has been just like a really relaxed energy yeah. in the house, which I wouldn't have expected the first year of being a parent. So totally, yeah. little flex there and a lot of credit to you. Yeah. It doesn't mean it still is not hard at, some, at times. Okay. Like we're parents. We, we do have hard times. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So let's get into losses. losses. Yes. Yeah. So I think the, the f- biggest loss was because our business was actually growing and scaling yeah. We started to let you get burned out. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that we couldn't have seen all of this coming. Because no. normally December, November and December, it's not like we don't do anything, but it is a seasonally slower period in our business. And I was expecting this year that I, I was sort of like pushing into October as if that was the finish line. <laughs> When it wasn't, yeah. And it was just ended up not being, you know. And that was, again, due to... There was a very positive thing behind that, which is because you had created some more time in your schedule, you were bringing in these great partnerships, a lot of which sort of like crested at the end of the year. And we ended up, right when I thought I was sort of like, take me out of the game, coach. I'm going to hit the sidelines and take a breather. It was like, no, actually, we're keeping you in for two more innings. Yeah, and, and I think the lesson just comes down to pre-planning even better. Like really looking at the calendar like if we need to take time off but this is what exactly what we're doing now for 2021 is yeah. all of the weeks we're taking off which there are i think nine weeks we're taking off are already planned so that yeah. then all of our promotions and everything else goes around those 
because I think before we were like, oh yeah, 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 like we'll take some time off in November and December, but we hadn't actually planned it. And so then it sort of got sucked up a little bit. I, I, and I think you just nailed it. Probably what we've done this year, it's not like we've never done it. It's that we did it at a level of detail this year that we've That's never exactly gone it. down to. Yes. We fit everything together. Like, when are we going to be promoting into a boot camp? When are we promoting into the tribe? When are we going to be on break? And we sort of looked at all of those puzzle pieces and fit it together in probably probably the most detailed way that we ever have, yeah. which means for some people that they're like, oh my God, you know every single day that you're going to be on vacation for 2021 already? And the answer is, yep. yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. Because when I, whenever we've said, oh, we're going to take this, this whole month's going to be off. It's never happened. Right, right. Because that, that requires like a level of sacrifice too with the business that we're just not willing to make. Yeah. Because we could easily do that. But now we're at the point where that sort of level would mean sacrificing a lot of money that we could have saved. And credit to us for last year. Actually, thank God that we had planned out yeah. big chunks of time last year. Yes. So it's not like we just did this for the first time this year. We had done it last year to like maybe out of like a five out of 10 yeah. scale. And that saved my butt. Even that five out of 10 saved my butt this year right. in a really bad moment. In terms of being able to take whole weeks off. It didn't end up being months, but it ended up being weeks. Oh Yeah, and those re weeks were like saved my life. But this is a classic example of, hey, if you're doing something right, ask yourself if you can dial it up and do it yeah. even more. Right. And so this next year, we were just like, great. So the weeks that we really planned to be off were the weeks that we got the most rest, were the weeks that saved our butt. Like, let's double down on that this year. The other thing, and this is more of like a personal lesson, is I actually noticed this year that when I when I get really tired and when I get really overwhelmed, I tend to get my victim mentality manifests in a little bit of like, I want somebody to step in and save me. <laughs> like this is embarrassing to say, but I'll just just for the sake of like being totally transparent and yeah. honest, I start to think thoughts like 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 of our staff or you or whatever like don't people see how overworked i am like why aren't they volunteering to like help me and what everybody else is thinking is like oh nobody really knows demir's schedule like demir like he'll tell us what he needs what done. he yeah. needs and when he needs help but the problem is like when both people are thinking they're moving in opposite directions like i'm just getting more and more resentful like nobody's but but at help. the same time what's funny about <laughs> you're totally right because and and it's it's so funny to to us your team because we're like great yeah we're ready to help what do you need but the instructions didn't come yeah it was that, like what do you need help with you were like i don't know yeah this is this is just classic overwhelm when you know uh when you've got like a parent who's trying to make thanksgiving dinner and you can tell they've bit off way more than they can chew <laughs> and they're way overwhelmed and they're sweating and you walk in and say how can i help and they look at you and go i don't know right you know it, and you can tell that they're like both weirdly trapped in a martyr syndrome where they feel like somebody should help but also like frankly like not taking ownership enough to be like chop those vegetables or right. like set the you know they're not taking that kind of ownership so just like a little bit of a raising my hand and just sort of acknowledging like that happened and that's a tendency of mine so i, I really want to watch out for that next year and yeah. make sure that we stay well ahead of that and and just like a little additional bit is man it is so much easier to stay on offense than it is to get pushed all the way onto defense and then come back on offense yeah like it's not just the tactics it's it's almost the mindset because once you've gotten on defense it's hard to get back into an offensive mindset. And that sort of happened to me. And again, thank God for those week-long breaks that we'd planned out. Because right when I was like deep on defense to the point where I was like 
just really in a defensive mindset, I had a chance to take that break and pivot back. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think a big loss that everybody in 2020 had was um, the pandemic. I mean, and the pandemic yeah. for us in particular, it could have been much worse, obviously, but it, it definitely put a crimp on our um, fancy digital nomad lifestyle where we were traveling around a lot and like doing cool things. Okay, like on one hand, I recognize that zero people in the world feel sorry for ourselves and they shouldn't. Like we live a great glamorous lifestyle. On the other hand, it's important to recognize that like for us, our power couples trip is literally the one time of year we get to hang out with some of our best friends. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, many people take for granted that maybe their best, they've got a really good group of friends that live in their hometown. We're still building, you know, like we have some very here, notable, yeah. amazing friends in, in Medellin, but we're still building a network here and a group of friends here. And many of our best friends live in the United States. They live in Europe. They live all over the world. And so not being able to go spend time with those people, um, took a really, really hard toll on us, like it did with everybody in the pandemic. Um, but uh, it, it, it put a crimp on that, and it also meant that we couldn't show off Gigi to her grandparents, you know, for yeah. you know, largely speaking. And it also, I mean, it meant that we didn't have as much help in the house like we had planned on, you yeah. know, being parents in the first year. Like, we basically had to let go of all that help, and we we had to figure out how to gradually add a little bit of that back in, but it certainly wasn't at the levels we were planning on for the yeah, whole I mean, year. Arguably, if you were going to boil it all down to like one thing, probably because it, it isn't one thing, but probably the one factor that weighed the most in us living abroad was being able to have plentiful and affordable help with the baby. Yep. Right. It's not the only thing, but if you boiled it down to one, that would be it. And we didn't have that this year. Right. Right. So, um, by, by and large, um, there are lessons from that, right? No. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the biggest lesson has been like, hey, we don't have to make it a really big, fancy international adventure yeah. for us to have an amazing adventure closer to home. Go for a hike. I mean, we're living in the Amazon jungle and the rainforest. There's so many amazing things to do here. And it doesn't, you know, everything with Gigi is fun and exciting because she's seeing it for the first time. And so we don't have to make it a trip to Paris or throughout Europe to make it amazing. Totally true. Now, you put together a COVID pod of uh, families with kids the same age. That has been one of the unanticipated giant wins of 2020. Because now I remember when, when I said, oh, people should just form COVID pods. And, and everyone was everyone like, everyone's so Demir. horrified. They're like, you're, but then as the, the, as the pandemic went on for like everybody six, nine months, it, yeah. now everybody has COVID pods. It's like, I, I expect every single person who like shamed me on social media to like personally call me and apologize. <laughs> that, that will never happen. But, but you formed a COVID pod of about four families. And I will tell you, just having one day of the week. When we could have other people over and and we could and Gigi could be responding and interacting with other babies like it was it hit so many notes at yes. the same time it hit like personally like my need as an extrovert to talk to other people um, you know have some events have some birthday parties that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like keeping it closer to home and sort of turning that frown upside down and trying to figure out the positives because we were really bummed when we realized we weren't going to travel for probably two years. I mean, sometime, I don't know, you should probably do like a, like maybe like a podcast or something about, because you're an introvert, but you created this social group. Right. So it's interesting, like, you know, and which ended up, I think, being like the juiciest core of our 
like friend group here in Medellin. Yeah. So that that I think there's an irony there because I think a lot of people who are introverts also mean well that means that I'm that I shouldn't make efforts to be social or like No, I mean I think I think there was a need. I felt a strong need as a new mom to connect with other new moms. Yeah. Because there's nothing like being able to commiserate really is what it ends up being. <laughs> With other people who are going through the exact same thing you are. Yeah. And that's very natural. So whatever place you are in your life, like trying trying to almost find people who are going through the exact same thing is inevitably therapeutic. It can become toxic, obviously, too. So you have to watch out for that. But I'm, in my case, it was just like, you weren't a new mom. You're a new dad. Yeah. The nannies aren't new moms. They're either not parents or like grandparents. They're not. Yeah. They're not in the same mental space as I am. And I just was feeling that very strong need not to be like getting advice from people or anything like that. Just being able to be around people going through the same thing yeah. is a very powerful experience. And so mm. I was sort of driven to to do that and it ended up being easy because it turns out that these moms were thinking the same thing. Yeah, it felt very, it's like one of those things that you try. I mean, for let, let me just put it this way. I've normally been in charge of all the social stuff that we right. do. Like I'm social captain. I make all the plans and everything like that. And so to me, when you were putting this together, I was like, oh, that's cute. And then it ended up being like a smash well, hit it, success. To be honest, like I was sort of waiting for you to do it. Like the whole time I was pregnant, I was like, any day now, Demir is going to get out there and make us some new friends, you know, make us some family friends. I kept talking to you about it. Kept on being like, yeah, like we should go hang out with other parents. Like, yeah, Demir, like see all these parents on this expat Facebook group? Like we should hang out with them. And you'd always be like, yeah, 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 let's do it. But you wouldn't do anything. To I set mean, up you're chat. not being you're not being fair because the group that we're part of is called Medellin Moms, and so it is a little bit creepy for like a dad to be like, "Hey, lady," you know. That's like, true. That's so true. It, it, yeah. It, it it felt very right for you to be the one taking it. It ended up working shows. out well, but I was sort of waiting for you to do it because you are the social captain. Yeah. So I was like, any day now, and then at the end of the day, I was like, Demir's not doing this. I need to just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and and the second you did it, like. Everybody responded. Anyway, so like huge, huge, like sort of like unanticipated win. Um, any Anything else from that? No, I think. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's another loss. And I think maybe this is an interesting one because I think it's important to talk about what's not working because it's very easy for us to sand off all the rough edges and just show people like, oh, no, everything we touch just like turns to it's gold. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, no, obviously that's not the case. Yeah, I think a thing that was not working again for us this past year is um, some of our other cold traffic marketing area uh, tactics did not pay off for us. Yeah. And it's stuff that we invest a lot of money in. And in this case, it was YouTube and Google ads. And again, it has not worked for, for like us. the second year. Yeah. And yeah. I think the lesson is not like, oh my gosh, we should never try those channels. It's just that we need yet another reframe to come back at the problem from a different angle. And I already yeah. have some ideas for how to test again, but it's again, it's like, hey, if it, if at first you don't succeed, keep trying. I mean, you know, from, from our perspective, strategically, we cannot be dependent on just one. Yes, it's not channel. smart long-term to only have yeah. Facebook and Instagram. So we're committed 100% to having another channel for like drawing, traffic, for yeah. creating awareness and drawing in cold traffic and everything. And so it's not a question of like, should we stop doing that? It's just a question of like, where can we get a toehold and find some purchase in these and feel that we've got like a line on like, okay, our message is working because it's not just that different audiences 
go to different channels. It's that they're in a different mode. Yeah. In different it, channels. It's very complex the way like that everything has to work together just so in order for a marketing funnel to work. Yeah. Like little things that you think would not matter matter a lot it's you, you know how have you ever seen those people who stack stones yeah it's like really, really elaborate ways and there's no glue and you're like that's not possible how did they i feel yeah, like a like marketing funnel is just this perfectly yeah. stacked stone and you look at it and you go how did anybody ever get the balance just so perfect that's like i feel like a marketing funnel you know i mean some people make it sound like it's so easy and maybe it is easy for some people but it's never been that easy for us <laughs> but no let's be honest like we coach with a lot of people who also do marketing funnels and like in the mar- in the in the language of marketing it's always like just do this and this and this and it's always gonna work perfect and then we talk to our clients and they're like why can't i get my marketing funnel up everybody says it should be so easy so like if right. you're out there and you're thinking that marketing is like the hardest thing you've ever done in your life that's our experience too. Yes, we, we relate. We relate, <laughs> we relate to you. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing to acknowledge is we have we made a commitment like years ago, almost two years ago, three years ago, to making YouTube another place that we were really going to push content out through. Yeah. Um, and you know, after two years, we have eleven thousand subscribers. Now, on one hand, a lot of people who've been in for like five years don't have 11,000 subscribers. On the other hand, we had sort of predicted that we were going to be at like 200,000 subscribers <laughs> by now. So like, you know, just to throw out an example of something yeah. that we made a commitment to and we're continuing to grind on. I think our videos are getting better. I think our, the, the, but we haven't yet seen that like pop moment where we're like nailed it. And I feel like, and this is going to probably like make somebody crap their pants right now. So whoever that person is, I'm so sorry. But like, I feel like, Sometimes these commitments need to be like five-year commitments. Well, I think sometimes it can always seem like somebody all of a sudden popped or whatever. And there are instances like that when somebody yeah, gets featured on get Ellen lucky. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, those are not how success normally happens. Yeah. Success, usually you see them at the end result, but you do not see all the years of hard work that took them to get there and all the failures. So I think a lot of times you, you sort of wait for that moment to happen, but then you end up getting there anyway just by making slow and steady progress. Yeah. But doesn't that number sort of resound with you? It's like it's like some of the things that we've been doing, we got results the first year that we were doing it, but it, it really wasn't until year five that we started to feel really masterful in that thing and felt that we really understood it, at least how it relates to us on a very deep level. Or am yeah. I just making that up? No, I think a lot of people have unrealistic time frames around these sorts of things. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's talk about our vision and then we'll wrap this up. Um, so f- when I say vision, just to be clear, like part of how we, oh no, I closed mine up. Maybe you can go first. Um, part of how we do things is that we start with just sort of um, almost bullets or ideas. What, what, what he's talking about here is for the coming year, for 2021, we like to have sort of an, a vision in our head, which is a, a, almost a story of how we want to feel at the end of the year. Yes. So after the next 12 months have elapsed, what has happened in our lives? How do we feel? What goals have we hit? Who are we with? All those sorts of things but to give us like, a vision to shoot for. We almost like start with this, like like at the top, it's just throwing in ideas. Yes. Like impressions, feelings, like, and then we start to like grind it down towards like a point of like, what's our most leverage action going to be? So let's start at the, like the top of that funnel. Maybe you can go first. Like what are, what were just the ideas and impressions and visions that you wanted to create in 2021? Yeah, I think mine feels um, really awesome to me, but it also could maybe come across a little bit mundane because we used to have visions that were really sexy and we doing all these great things. Really? And 
like you know, traveling on a catamaran. Yeah, in it's Mediterranean. like well, yeah. we've well, now at this point we've done those things, and what's really exciting for me for the coming year is just feeling um, really safe, feeling. Uh, like we have more financial independence, yeah. doing all sorts of like cutesy, fun things with Gigi while she's still really young. But that's, isn't that the progression of parents? It's like, yeah. if you're a parent, you totally get it because your world goes inside and, and you're seeing the world through the eyes of this child. And, and we just did um, decorating um, cookies the other night. You set that whole thing up. And like, you're, it, it's like, it's like I never even saw decorating cookies before. Like it, you're seeing it through a completely different lens. But yeah, all these things that we never would do as a you know, you and I wouldn't go to the zoo. But now I'm like, we gotta go to the oh zoo. Oh my god, the zoo's so cool. So like, we're those like you know whatever uncool parents who yes. all of a sudden like cool. The whole definition of cool just changed. You right. Know? Exactly. So that's really mine in in a nutshell. Um, the biggest goal that we've set for ourselves, which is also here in my vision, is um, that we've launched, we've written and published our first book yeah. together. So that's like the biggest thing on the business side. And basically, like we're we're just really getting a hang of our family unit, having a lot of adventures together. Um, continuing to grow the business, but not working any more than we are now. Yeah. Um, so it's really like more of the same, which yeah, I guess I mean, is good. Well, we, we, you know, the other thing that we committed to is that instead of just preaching lifestyle design and and creating a sustainable, like, you know, grind, but, but at every moment, we, we, what we're out there telling people is that every single week, every single month, you should be loving your life. You should love your life every week more than you did the last week, every month more than the last month. Yeah. And so like that puts a burden on us to actually practice that, you know, because it would be so much easier to be like, let's hate our life for two years. Yes. And then like, you know, and then make a ton of money and then we'll retire. And we just made a commitment not to do that. So right. for me, you know, what really lights me up thinking about this year is just being really healthy and relaxed. You know, my watchword this year is sustainability. Like yeah. at every single moment, I want to say to myself, I could do this like this forever, right? Nice. Um, and so um, lots of, and I'm writing, I, I'm reading for my notes here, lots of week-long staycations spread throughout the year. Um, you know, some vacations, getting out of the house a little bit, but really staycations are stoking me out more yes. um, because we've got, We've got all. We've got just a system built here. Yes. We've got help. We've got, we've got, got help. nannies. Yeah. You know, um, and and also, and this sort of like out of left field is um, going to Burning Man again. Mm, yeah. You know, I, I and I, I, I weirdly enough, people always say like, isn't Burning Man just a bunch of druggies getting high? And it's like anybody who goes knows there there is like a sort of lane in Burning Man that is parents with kids, yeah. and and I just whether it's this year or next year or the year after, I'm starting to. Just build that vision up again, and so yeah, a lot of sustainability and and feeling like we're driving the business forward. I mean, we do have not to get into the minutia, but we have we have to travel next year, so we've got to yeah. have to travel. So we will get out of the house and travel, but I don't think that that's our vision. Like, when yeah, I'm, it doesn't. It's not as exciting as it as it used to be. I think yeah. we're yeah more excited by doing things that you could do anywhere, not necessarily just by traveling. Totally. Now, when we grind that all down, we sort of came up with a definite chief aim for those of you who are in our program um, and have read Napoleon Hill's um, Think and Grow Rich. Our definite chief aim is to publish a book in 2021 um, to generate credibility and trust so that marketing becomes easier and more profitable. And there's really yeah. a ton. The, the, 
It, we talk a lot about leverage. What's, what's great about this goal is that it is incredibly leveraged for us, which means yeah. it's sort of like saying it kills like 10 birds with one stone. Great way to put it. Yeah. Exactly. So basically it does more than one thing. It, you know, it brings our current audience closer to us um, and it, it enables us to reach a bigger and wider audience because it's a way of getting our ideas out there at a lower yeah. price. Yep. Um, it also projects, you know, are that trust and credibility into our space. And let me pause on that. Like there's just this weird thing, you know, our commitment in the beginning when we started this business was that we thought that we there didn't need to be more books out there, right? We were yeah, like, there are a lot so many great ideas and productivity. What we need to do is start actually doing it. And so when <laughs> we started our coaching, we were really focused on integration and getting people doing the things that they might've read in a book before. Like, and so we've spent, we've put in our 10,000 hours and we've spent the time to actually become like, the experts in actually getting people doing these things. Um, but there is this weird, there's this weird thing where you can't go on a podcast and say, no, I don't have a book out. I just have a ton of information I want to share with the audience. But it's, sometimes people need a catalyst. Like, but I think also we have worked our ideas to the point where we well, we have a lot of ideas for books yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that should definitely be books. I, no doubt, no doubt. But let, let's before we move over there, I just want to stay here and just say like, there is something about society where you cannot go on Ellen if you're not promoting a book, right? You can't go on a podcast if you're not promoting a book. And so it creates a catalyst for you to reach out to partners. It creates a catalyst for you. Like, and, and I know this is like the part of opening the kimono you're not supposed to talk about. You're not supposed to talk about the fact that it's like, yeah, man, like, like when you're giving a speech, when you have a book, it lends credibility to the fact that you you've got to. No, talk no, I think it. it's I think it's obvious. I think like anybody who's written a book is just in a different category than people who haven't totally. written a book. And I think it matters how you write the book and how you publish the book totally. because you don't want to do it. It's, it's so easy to see now on Amazon the people who have just thrown a book up and it's not well done. It hasn't been edited. It hasn't been. It's not actually good writing. Like yeah. we're not doing this for our ego. We're doing it because we have information that we genuinely want other people to have and so it's for them to yeah. receive the information our goal is for them to be able to change their life but using think, our information I, I, okay so so if we put in place that for many many years we could see that it would benefit us right to write a book but we still didn't write one why because we didn't have a very clear sense of how we would be adding value exactly because there's and so now many we know. books coming out there's always there's so many books in the productivity space, but now if I feel like we genuinely have an idea that we've tested with the market, and the market has said yes, this is a good this, idea. This is what this has changed my life, and it deserves to be a book. Yeah. So so when those two things crusted, it becomes so obvious that it's like, hey, from our incentive structure, it is it has always for the last five years been the right time to write a book. <laughs> but but now here five years later, we feel that we've got something that really is differentiated that the market wants. Yeah. Um and. And so, like, when you add all this stuff together, plus, like, let's be honest, it's sort of like a bucket list thing. Yes. You know? every, yeah, I, almost everybody says, like, I want to be a published author, you know, and yeah. we're no different. But also legacy, like, you know, it, not everybody's going to pay to join our tribe or our boot camps. And so, you know, this is just something that you can do to put it out into the sort of, like, awareness stream of people and sort of say, like, if, if, if like, if society is code like this sort of code base, this is our opportunity to like slip in a couple lines of code yeah. to society and say like, man, if we could just... It's our contribution like, yeah, like here's to the more mainstream yeah. productivity world. You know, and I think a lot of people are like, uh, you know, think that we want to keep like our best ideas to ourselves. But actually when you, when you 
when you've been when you've been a marketer long enough, you know that you can just give away your best ideas, <laughs> literally, and it's never it's only gonna expand and grow your business. Yeah, the way I was gonna present that is that like when we didn't have money, we were always focused on like like holding on to our most valuable things. But then, and we thought that that was going to make us more money. But then as we've gotten closer and closer to creating financial independence and we feel less like money stress, we're more willing to give out like our best stuff. But then ironically, it returns more. It returns more, you know? So there's this weird, very counterintuitive thing about knowledge these days where you could give away everything that you knew. Like we could put everything we knew on our YouTube page and quite the opposite of people being like, thank you, I'm not going to pay you a cent. They're actually like, I love what you do. How can I work with you? Like, how can I be part of your tribe? So, yeah, um, yeah it's just it's just this odd thing. But coming back to the idea, like, I'm really jazzed about the legacy part about it, about the idea of being able to say, like, we can't put everything we know into the broader code base. But what if, what if we could just inject a couple <laughs> lines? I like that analogy. Base, it's know? a great analogy. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so that feels pretty complete. Any final thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's what we have going on for 2021. We're keeping it simple. We're keeping it focused. Doesn't mean it's not going to be a lot of work or that we aren't going to do other things as well, but that's sort of our number one focus for the year. Yeah, and I, I think my final thought here is uh, I was stunned in our annual pre-planning session. I, did, I didn't know what the results would be. I sort of did an informal poll or a survey. Yeah. And I asked people, because let's be honest, every single person in 2020 got their plan blown up. Nobody, nobody was like, was, global yeah. pandemic is right. coming, nobody right? Had, nobody predicted it. Nobody predicted that. But the people who had pre-planned their year last year yeah. said that they, disproportionately said that they had actually had a really good year in 2020. And, you know, again, small sample size, but... What it goes to show me is it's not about the plan. It's the act of planning. And studies do show that people who formulate a plan, even if it doesn't go according to plan, which it never does, right. are more resilient in in their ability to pivot. Yeah. And so, like, who knows what's going to happen in 2021? Like, everybody assumes it can't be worse than 2020. But, like, I don't know. Like, 2020 sort of proves that anything can happen. <laughs> so, you know, maybe... I just want to be clear, even if this doesn't go at all according to what we're projecting or what our plans are, I feel that we've got this confidence that we always have now after we've done an annual pre-plan that's like, you know, doesn't matter what comes our way. We're going to be able to, you know, show that resilience and that flexibility of bringing the lessons that we learn to whatever that we meet. Yeah. And also keeping it into something that's within our control. Like you've noticed that we haven't talked at all about how many books we're going to sell. That's because that's largely outside of our control. What is inside our control is writing a really great book that people want to read and actually getting it published. Like those are all things we can do. And then there's other marketing things we can do that will hopefully result in more books sold. But because that's not something we can actually physically control ourselves, it's not actually in our pre-planning document. And creating the space, it's very easy to say, I'm going to write a book this year. But, But I think the lesson that we learned from last year is taking whatever time and effort we thought it was going to take and multiplying it by 10 and and creating that space, which meant that we had to really say no to so many things. Like what we're not talking about is all the heartbreaking choices we had to make to be like, well, if we want to write a book, then that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. We just a list of 30 things that we were just like, had to shed a tear for and be like, that's not going to happen. But I feel really good about having made those choices and I feel good about the space that we've made and I'm stoked about 2021. All right, let's go do it.